Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Ezekiel 18.2 This is also a proverb, and we may have heard it as the sins of the father are visited on the sons of future generations. In this chapter, however, God tells Ezekiel to stop using this saying because every living soul belongs to me. Parent and child alike are mine. It is the person who sins that will die. I think the father's sins visited on the children could well mean a destructive cycle of unhealthy behavior that's handed down either by example or bad choices, resulting in several generations getting stuck in a situation where there's no escape. But it doesn't mean punishment from God for the father's sins regardless of behavior, a kind of you're out of luck, mate, just look at your family. It falls to the person who sins. God's trying, telling us to stop using the behavior of our relatives as an excuse, a form of denial. My father, uncle, brother, sister, mother was an alcoholic or abusive or an atheist. So what chance do I have in this dysfunctional family? As God said, all living souls are mine. The faithful one will not be punished because of his offspring's sins, just as the righteous offspring will not be punished for an unrighteous father. Which, of course, leads to my favorite soapbox topic. Have your own personal relationship with God, not anyone else. God will stand by you no matter what your family is doing. Be right with God and he will deal with every living soul that belongs to him. It's not for us to reason why or how. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McMenny. And my guest this week is Julie Anderson, whose homeschooling experience with her three sons inspired her to write the book Quickest Way to Insanity, Homeschool Your Kids. You may remember she visited me briefly on June 1st, but we had to cut our visit short. So I'll be talking about the big move home this week, wondering what my house looks like, reflecting on British enigma, and pondering some ideas about what I'll be doing first on my arrival in America. I'm having final cups of builder's tea, which is a strong PG tips. The water's just not the same in America. And I'm finishing up the hobnobs. Can't leave them for the movers. So let's have a sit down, take a load off, and join me for the last show from my homeland for a while. As you can imagine, life is hectic. We moved my daughter out of her digs without a car. Clever thing, had been really good about travelling heavy every time she came to visit us, so she was able to empty her room one suitcase at a time, and we did the final clear-out while she was in rehearsal. She then moved to London, a place near the theatre, for the week, and spent it in the company of friends she wouldn't be seeing for a long time or ever again. At least not in person, plenty of screen time, I'm sure, unless one of them lands a job in America. Uh, We had everything scheduled, rather like the timing of a full English breakfast. 
the baked beans, sausages, bacon, eggs, fry bread and mushrooms out of the pan and onto the plate at the same start time, still piping hot. I didn't want to be sitting around in my lovely little flat while my furniture disappeared around me. So we set up collections for the last day and coordinated the packers to arrive at the same time. We couldn't pack up any of the boxes we were shipping because the moving company had to be able to declare that they had packed everything themselves to avoid the risk of drug smuggling and money laundering. They seemed to be obsessed by the latter here. Plus, it was less expensive to let them do the packing. So we sorted drawers and cupboards and knew what we had to go and where. It got rather scary at one point. All of a sudden, here we are leaving tomorrow and everything we're taking with us is still in situ. But miraculously, it happened and we were able to vacuum and deep clean the flat and went out for dinner on the last night. I wonder if we'll even be missed by anyone in the building. I have visions of taking one look at my house in Garland and turning tail and fleeing, but my oldest son tells me it won't be like that. I don't know if we'll drop our bags and go rent a car and go to Lindale to see my blue-eyed cowboy's mother first, or spend a weekend getting settled into the house. Somehow it doesn't seem to be mine anymore, but I doubt that feeling will last. Then we have to go to Corpus and visit our school teacher daughter. Oh, and I forgot, we have to take the heat factor into consideration. We have to relearn how to deal with temperatures in the hundreds in nature as opposed to an oven heating up a cake or my electric blanket heating up my cold sheets. Having been in England a year, I'm sure I've changed and I know as a couple we've changed. There aren't the disagreements that are ever present when children are around to jump in and add to the conversation. Have you noticed that? Funny, kiddos can cause conflict because we both react to each child differently. I'm more laid back. I enjoy them telling me about their lives. I don't pass judgment. At least I try not to pass judgment. My youngest will say, I heard that hmm, when she's talking to me on Skype. Our children do tend to air their opinions about how we live our lives and how we react to situations and personalities and other siblings. But sometimes it's tough to remember that we're our own bosses and we've done the hard work and now they need to find their own ways and leave us alone. My oldest did say, I need to learn that I don't have to stick my oar in all the time and I should just keep my opinions to myself. He's such a parent when it comes to the others. That's being the oldest for you. We also, my lovely Texan and I, have slightly different opinions on how much to let our children go. My Texan desperately wants to continue nurturing and helping out, which is wonderful. And I feel that they need to learn on their own. So we'll see where their shortfalls are and they can struggle to find their own balance. We do that at the theatre when we're training crew. We say to them, don't do anyone else's job but your own. That way we'll know if we've choreographed it incorrectly or if we need more people on that set change. And no, it's not always easy to break away, either as a child or a parent. But we had to do it. Gosh, how short our memories are. And something I noticed while I was here was the reticence that the English have about revealing too much about themselves. It began to dawn on me with Malia's barista job when a new policy was put in place in England that the customer's name had to be put on the cups and used. Normal for Americans, but not for we hesitant Brits. The weekend the policy started, Malia said it was difficult to simply, Im to simply impossible to get the customers to part with their names. Comments like, why do you need my name? 
or I'd rather not give my name, and I don't know you, so why should you have my name? It's not taken too kindly here, because a name is considered a personal piece of information, as is our address and phone number. But after several months, Malia is still the only one who can get a name from a customer without any trouble. Must be her pretty face, friendly smile and that wonderful American accent. But back to the British. Perhaps I've always been private, but with four children, have had to relinquish some of my mysterious aura. I love it when I meet someone who appears to be an ordinary person, then discover they have a special talent I wouldn't even have dreamed of. One of the women in our choir, for example, a mousy, unassuming type, surprised me during our music festival that she was the pianist who was being featured one night. She was brilliant, and I had no idea, even though I'd been in a discussion group with her. Then I suppose she wouldn't have come right out and said, oh, by the way, I'm a brilliant pianist, would she? I keep quiet about this show, for example, the fact that I've written a book and homeschooled my children. I mean, whose business is it? And if I hardly know the person, who cares? And why should strangers know so much about me? Yep, I blog about myself, but, you know, that's in preparation for another book that I'm writing. Telling it face to face somehow just feels like bragging. Does everyone I meet need to know why I came to England, where I went to school, what I do at home? No, I don't think so. I prefer people to say, well, I never knew that about Vivian. What an interesting person she is. (laughs) I think a lot of people define themselves by their jobs, the people they know, their bank balances, the car parked in their driveway or the size of their homes. I prefer to present myself on my own merits and meet others on theirs. If they only like me for my trappings and who I know, then I feel I lose my identity and become the person who has such and such and knows so and so. A state of mind, perhaps. My cool British reserve. Well, my guest this week is Julie Anderson from the beautiful Sierra Nevada foothills in California. Julie is a returning visitor to my show and a veteran homeschooler of 16 years with three boys who were the inspiration for her book, Quickest Way to Insanity, Homeschool Your Kids. Julie has an extensive educational background covering natural health, psychology, brain function, and much more, and enjoys sharing her knowledge with homeschoolers and parents through workshops and keynote addresses. Today, she's here to talk to us about how understanding the connection between the brain and personality traits benefited her during homeschooling her homeschooling journey and how it will hopefully benefit you too. And it's time for me to go on a break, make myself another lovely cup of tea, so don't stray far from the computer, and bring me back a biscuit. When you return, I'll be talking to Julie. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station? Yes, 
why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm back now from my break, and I'm talking to Julie Anderson. Julie, tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I really try to help individuals understand what their how the connection between their brain and the way things work in their brain affects everything about who they are and why they do things that the way that the way that they do and this is very functional in the homeschooling community because if we can look at our kids and understand what's going on inside their brain it can be very helpful so that's the main uh through workshops through um coaching through consultation. I really try to help expand people and understand the beautiful blend between science and psychology to help us just understand more about ourselves and other people. And once we we understand more about ourselves and how our brain works, then as homeschoolers, we can tailor um, the things that we do with our children to um, their needs and their specific um, requirements and their specific learning Um, methods or skills. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest benefits. Um, I homeschooled for a total of 16 years with my three sons. Mm -hmm. And the first five years of that or four years of that, I didn't have the information on the the brain personality Mm -hmm. connection. I had a lot of information on psychoneuroimmunology and had done a lot of training on that end. But it wasn't until about four years into my homeschool journey that I learned so much about how the chemical makeup in our brain affects the way we learn, the way we process information, why some students are very skilled in one subject and tend to have difficulty and struggle in another. And when I learned that why reason and how it all had to do with energy expenditure in the brain, it it I made a dynamic shift in my homeschooling and it just completely changed uh, for the better the way that we were schooling here at the house. Mm-hmm. And, and did something specific happen that made you think, I am just not getting my child? No, actually, my journey began about 20 years ago when I was studying for a degree in natural health. And I was studying psychoneuroimmunology, which is the connection between your immune system and your emotions, which is a powerful, powerful subject. And I, it was at that point that I realized, wow, so much of what we think and so much of what happens in our brain affects every part of our life. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of started me on a journey, journey of digging and going to multiple workshops and seminars. And that is what actually led me to meet one of the world's foremost experts in the brain personality connection. And I tutored under her. And then I applied it into the homeschool atmosphere. So it wasn't anything, one specific thing that happened in our homeschool, but it once I learned this information, I was like, wow, what a difference this will make. Mm-hmm. And um, there have been some studies that show that you can actually train the brain 
to react to certain things in certain ways. So it's not just that's the way you were wired. You can actually change some things. Is that right? Yeah. You know what's really interesting about the brain? It's for so many years it was believed to be hardwired. Mm -hmm. It was believed that that's just the way it was. But the brain is very malleable. So you can create through learning, through um, cognitive practice, through visualization, through all different types of techniques, you can actually train the brain and create more neural connections that will help you with things that you struggle with. But I think one of the biggest keys that I really emphasize is that we do have natural innate gifts, things that literally take us second for second, less glucose burned in the brain, less energy to process those cognitive thoughts. And when we learn, oh, that's why this person is gifted in that, or that's why this is something I struggle with, then it helps us to just understand ourselves and in a homeschooling situation, our children so much better. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about we have natural innate gifts, which which, um, enables our brain not to use so much glucose. Is that what you said? Yeah, absolutely. So so that's like energy? Yeah. Yeah. What they did, what they started to do is... All of these magnificent scanning techniques on the brain have come out in technology in the last few decades. And so they're able to actually, through positron emission tomography, it's PET scans, they are able to actually measure the amount of glucose the brain is burning second for second while you're doing something cognitive. So you can be reading or you can be doing a mathematical problem or you can be doing a puzzle or you can be problem solving whatever the task is that you're told to do then what they can do is they can measure what portions of your brain you're using and what por- how much energy how much glucose is being burned in those portions every second that you're processing this cognitive function mm-hmm. and what they found when they did these studies uh it's Catherine Benziger <clears throat> wrote a wonderful book called The Art of Using Your Whole Brain. Um, Arlene Taylor wrote a wonderful book, um, Mind Waves. They, in both those books, they expound on what the scientific research is showing that each one of us in one of the four main quadrants of the brain has the ability to burn less glucose than the other three. Mm-hmm. So this is where your gifts come from. Mm-hmm. This is why some people are just gifted at music mm-hmm. because they're probably spending less energy second for second to work out of the quadrant in the brain that is responsible for music. Mm-hmm. So it becomes natural. It becomes easy for them because they're literally spending less energy to do it. Okay. So I was going to ask you, all right, so pet, pet scans can do this. They can actually measure how much um, energy or glucose each quadrant of the brain is using based on what it is that the person is doing cognitively. Correct. So how, how can you do that um, as a homeschooler? You obviously don't have access to a PET scan. If you did, you probably wouldn't know how to read it. So <laughs> how, how, what's the best way of going about finding out? Because if your brain gets tired, what happens? I mean, do you suddenly close your eyes and you want to go to sleep? Or are you struggling? So can you see visibly see your child kind of smoke coming out of their ears and they're really struggling to do something. How can you tell? Basically by sitting back and watching. Mm-hmm. Um, what what does the child just simply have? 
a difficulty with. Almost, you'll find when you talk to any parent, they'll almost always tell you, my child seems to be fine in subject A, but struggles with subject B. And then you'll talk to the next parent and they're like, oh, my child's fine in subject B, but subject A, they struggle in. So they may be great in math, which is a very, um, a very left brain type of a thing, mm-hmm. or they may be really gifted in problem solving and creative problem solving, which is a very right brain type of a gift. So oftentimes you'll find that there's one or two areas that they just, they, they get through the subject very rapidly. They don't have to ask many questions. They're able to kind of figure it out on their own. And most of the time they're correct in working through their project. And then there's other subjects that maybe they just struggle with. You, you have to explain it to them more. They just don't seem to, quote, unquote, get it. Mm-hmm. Th- that can sometimes give you a lead as to, okay, which portion of the brain are they having more difficulty working out of? And if they're having more difficulty working out of that portion of the brain, then chances are that's not their brain lead. That's not their gifted area. That's an area where they're literally having to burn more glucose Mm -hmm. to process that. And it fatigues the brain if they have to spend too much time in that area. Okay, carry on. Something else that I think is really important for homeschooling parents to understand is we can learn. I mean, I was a straight A student in all subjects when I was in school. But that didn't mean that all subjects were easy for me to do. Mm-hmm. So you can become good and efficient in everything, but not everything is going to be easy for the brain to process. So we have to sometimes a child may blow through a subject really simply and get straight A's 100% right. But then on another subject, they work 10 times as hard, but they only make 80% correct. Mm-hmm. That's that's where you have to understand it's energy expenditure in the brain that's probably the source of the challenge. And if you can start to address that, you can find more success and a whole lot less frustration in your homeschooling environment. Okay, so if you recognize that your child is, let's say, gifted, there's, there's a um, part of the school that they're doing or, or things that they learn that just comes naturally to them, just in like in one area, like, like for example, in the math area. Um, but they're not really that good over on the, the art side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, could you take what they find comes naturally and teach that other subject with connections so that their brain doesn't actually go, no, this is really, really going to wear me out. This is, you know, I'm going to have to, this is too difficult to learn. Could you somehow rather tailor this other subject that that's not quite so easy to them in such a way that part of the, part of the brain that finds something easy can be used for that? Do you, do you see, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I do, and you're absolutely correct. Um, there's a lot of, when we talked before, we talked about multisensory learning, and that is, that is your first step in, in overcoming any of the challenges is getting the body in, in motion, doing the multisensory learning, because that alone will help the brain to make neural connections in all portions of the brain. So when you're looking at the cerebrum, you're looking at that gray matter, it's obviously divided by the main fissure between the right and left hemisphere, and then it has natural fissures also that divide the posterior and the anterior portion or the back and the front of the brain. 
So when you're doing something multi-sensory, that means you're activating a lot of those four quadrants or the six quadrants. You know, you're, you're activating a lot of them. So they may be gifted in one, in one of those four quadrants. Well, that means that now they're through multi-sensory teaching, they can make the connections between art and math because you're activating both sides of the brain just by the movement and the multi-sensory input. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting because I know that when I was teaching my children math, one of them really liked the hands-on manipulatives, but I could not figure out how to do math using manipulatives. I mean, no matter how much I tried, it just made no sense to me at all. But the way I was doing math that made a lot of sense to me made no sense to my child. And yeah. I, oh gosh, I found that so difficult. And I thought, everybody must be able to do tactile. I had never been taught that way. So I had no way, I, I just had no basis at all to draw from to teach that like that. And you know, that to me just seems so much better to do hands-on because there are lots of other hands-on things that I would rather do. I'd rather, you know, do something than actually for somebody to demonstrate to me. I actually want to be in there. I'm just thinking about cooking, you know. I mean, that's just much easier for me to do it than to watch somebody doing it and then take mm-hmm. it away. So um, oh. so what do you do when there's a way that your child learns that is completely nothing? I mean, you, you cannot relate to it at all. <laughs> You hit on a really, really good point. There's there's two things that I'd love to expand on with that is that one is as parents, and, and I'm not sure about you personally, but I was raised in a typical school setting. Um, <clears throat> you know, the 45-minute subjects, the mm-hmm. hard desks, the, you know, the, the, the bell rang, we ran to our next class, all that type of thing. And it's hard for us as parents because that's the way we were trained we have that so strongly stuck in our brain that our brains have a hard time thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. They have a hard time making our own neural connections mm-hmm. into a different pattern of thinking. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it takes work on the parent's part to go, okay, wait a minute. Now I have to train my brain to think differently mm-hmm. and to work differently. And if you find that you're just not the same, you you know, I am a very auditory person. So someone, my brain lead processes fastest and most efficiently through what I hear. My son, <clears throat> my youngest son was like your son, very tactile, very kinesthetic. And so I just had to constantly, whenever I would see that look on his face, he's not getting it. I would have to stand back and look at, Okay, how am I sending the message? How am I teaching? Am I being too auditory? Mm -hmm. Am I teaching naturally the way I would want to receive the information? And if that's the case, then it takes you as the parent stepping out of your comfort zone and going, okay, I'm going to go reach for some resources. I'm going to go online and look for ideas on how I can teach math with manipulatives Mm -hmm. or I'm going to grab that great book on math with manipulatives or, or whatever it is and... It, it just takes more work on our part as a parent, being the parent teacher, that that we adjust our way of thinking to fit and match our children better. Well, Julie, we've got to go on a really quick break now, but when we come back, let's continue with this topic. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Okay, Julie, we're back from our break, and we've been talking about um, how we can creatively teach our children when really we, as parents, have, have been taught to learn in a way that's, that's a very structured way, and we don't have to do this in the homeschool, and we can find different ways and more creative ways to teach our children. Yeah, and there's different things that we ourselves can do to strengthen and learn to think outside of the box. Um, there's a lot of different brain games that you can play. There's a lot of online resources. One of them is called Luminosity, I think, is the name of it. And they just, they're different games that you play with your brain. And you can write with your opposite hand. So if you're right-handed, you can teach yourself to write with your left hand. If you're left-handed, you can teach yourself to write with your right hand. Because from a brain point of view, uh, you what happens is you start to activate and access the opposite side of the brain when you're writing with the opposite hand of what is your natural. And the whole idea of these different types of things is to learn to think outside of the way that we're used to thinking, to do things, to teach our brain to do things differently than we originally programmed it to do. It's also excellent for brain health because every new task that you do, every time you stretch those dendrites, you are creating a healthier brain. It's the same as, you know, walking or running or doing any type of physical exercise it benefits your body because you're keeping your muscles in shape. You're keeping your, your muscles stretched out, the ligaments stretched. It's healthy. And it's the same with your brain. When you play brain games, when you learn new subjects, um, for example, if, if you're weak in understanding how to teach music or um, harmonious type things, well, you can personally learn to play a musical instrument, learn to read music. Because what it does is it activates that portion in the brain that you're not strong in. And I like using the term, I might mention, I like using the term non-strength as opposed to the term weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, Weakness is a very negative term and it indicates, it just gives a different, it resonates differently in your brain Mm -hmm. than a non-strength. We're not all strong in every single subject. We're not all strong in every single task. That's the beauty of the different personalities. 
But to indicate, to say, oh, well, you're weak in that, it doesn't mean you're weak in it. It just means you're not necessarily gifted in it. Mm -hmm. So I try to stay away from negative words as much as possible because it does honestly affect the brain differently. Mm -hmm. So that was just a side point I want to throw in there. But you can learn to use different portions of your brain that you're not gifted in by practicing tasks that use those portions. So it's like it gets the circulation going in those areas that you're not used to using. And they don't have to be really difficult tasks. As you said, you know, writing with your left hand. I mean, that is difficult, but it's not an impossible thing like, um, I don't know, trying to learn a foreign language that's actually got a different alphabet and, and that, which you can do, but you can do simple things. You can start with simple things like writing with your left hand or, yes, exactly. you're saying if you're right-handed. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't. It doesn't have to be something that you master and become gifted at. You know, you don't have to learn to write with your left hand just as well as you write with your right hand. That's not the point. The point is making that stretch. The point is getting the brain to to stop doing the same thing over and over and over again, but rather to create new neural connections and, and to just stretch. And when you do that, it just it gives you more cognitive gifts. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting because there are a lot of things. I was doing something today, something silly, like um, I think I was eating um, cereal with my right hand and a thought flashed across my mind. What if I had to eat it with my left hand and I wouldn't even know how to hold my spoon, let alone try and <laughs> scoop it up and not spill the milk all over the place? And I thought, gosh, isn't that, isn't that strange that I really am a very right-handed person, everything I do, and my left hand is good. It's okay on the keyboard because it's, you know, it's used to doing that. But, you know, my daughter's a dancer and she has to be able to do everything on both sides just as mm-hmm. well. She has to be a good left turner as well as a good right turner. And that's an all-round physical activity. So I think that that's really good. And that as, as homeschoolers, perhaps we can encourage our children to, you know, try using their, um, what do you do, not their, their non-strength side um, and not always using their strong their strong side, not always doing, you know, what they feel comes naturally to them, trying something that doesn't, that isn't quite so easy for them. Yeah. Especially if they're in a moment of brain block, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, if they're at a point where they're just frustrated with a particular subject or, or a problem that they're not getting through, trying to break your brain from being stuck in that, that spot. Mm-hmm. And that can be, switching subjects for a few minutes. It can be getting up and moving because we talked before about how just simply going from a sitting to a standing position, you increase the oxygen flow to your brain. It can be doing anything that just kind of shocks your brain into thinking differently, into looking at it from a different perspective. Um, any of Anything that's just going to just change up things a little bit is going to help your brain when it's in that block. And um, what about... As a, as a homeschooler, um, how do I prevent myself from getting too stressed? How can I keep my brain um, from overwork? And, and, you know, say if you're teaching four children, sometimes that can get really mind-boggling because they're each maybe doing something a little bit different. They're at different levels, and it's a long day. Yes. <laughs> I hear you. Absolutely. Um, This is something that we, I mean, it's very typical for women to over ask of themselves everything. Mm -hmm. That's just our nature. It's, it's the way society has trained us. 
It's a little of everything. And we don't take good enough care oftentimes of ourselves because especially as a mother, our main focus and our main concern is our children. Mm-hmm. And the, the downside to that is that we aren't able to perform at our best because we overstress ourselves. So when there's a couple of things. One, when you do start teaching with the brain and the mind, it, it, with the brain in mind and our innate or our natural giftedness that our, each of our children have and teaching with their brain leads in mind and understanding why things are difficult for them, that alone reduces a lot of frustration. But there are moments when we just have to, we feel that frustration no matter how much we're trying to teach with the brain in mind or how many of the um, outside of the box thinking we've been doing when we just really have to take a break. And again, as we have indoctrinated in our brain, we have to accomplish so much every single day. And we have to school from one set time to another set time or else we get this this sick feeling inside that, oh my goodness, I'm not teaching right or my kids aren't going to get a good education. Where sometimes it's literally a matter of saying, you know what, let's go outside for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. We're all just going to go outside. We're going to breathe some fresh air. We're going to oxygenate our brain. We're going to take a break, every single one of us, including mom, mm-hmm. from focusing on subjects at the moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe we just go for a nature walk or, or we, we just walk mm-hmm. and we talk about the things around us. And we have a nice calming um, break to that stress. So that's one suggestion. Um, the other suggestion is to really take care of yourself in your off time as a homeschooling mom. Um, I have a program, a whole program that's says it's taking care of mom is the title of it. And I really emphasize the importance. If I go back 20 years to what started me on this entire journey, as I mentioned earlier, the study of psychoneuroimmunology, if we have a lot of negative emotions going on in our in our brain, mm-hmm. we are going to unfortunately have negative reaction in our immune system. And the reason for this is because the same portion of the brain, the limbic system, is responsible for caring for our immune system and our emotions both. So they're undeniably connected. And there has been study after study after study done that proves that negative emotions will have a negative effect on our immune system. So if we get stressed out, that results in negative emotions. It's stress. Mm. And then we're not as happy of a person, and then we tend to get sick more often, and we can't give our best. We can't, as parents or as homeschooling mothers, we can't give our best to our children, teaching them, because we're not able to function at our best because we are just way too stressed out. Mm. So I really emphasize the need to have time planned every week for you. And it's hard for us sometimes to wrap ourselves around. We think, oh, my goodness, that's so selfish. But if it's okay every Friday night, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take a bath and I'm going to turn on my music and I'm going to read my favorite book. And I'm going to take 30 minutes for me. Or I'm going to go get my nails done once every couple of weeks or a pedicure or whatever that thing is that's important to you. Or maybe it's you want to go get some physical exercise outside, go to the gym, go on walks away from your family. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. But I think it's imperative that we do that because if we don't, we're no longer able to give 
100% to our family because we just don't have it to give because our brain is just way too tapped. And I think a lot of times if you if you decide to do that, you don't have to have that special time every single day. It'd be nice to be able to have it every single day, but if you only do it a couple of times a week or once every two weeks, it's something that you can look forward to. And I think if you can look forward to that, that helps a lot too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It really helps the brain. I mean, it's just amazing because, again, all of this, they can – scan the brain and watch the brain as it responds to and reacts to different situations and circumstances or different tasks that it's performing. And if you have that hope or that positive um, outlook for the future, and it seems strange that I would put that connected to simply having a half an hour once a week, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's what we have to hold on to when we are so overwhelmed and there's forms to fill out and there's lesson plans to figure out and there's adjustments that need to be made because our children aren't we're not teaching right and we need to change it so it fits their brain and we have to do it differently with the first born the second born and the third born you know so yeah we need to have that little hope that at the end of the week I am going to do something or every couple of weeks I am going to do something that is specifically for me to rejuvenate and to rebuild and gives us the stamina to keep going yeah, absolutely. Um, and I might add, oh, carry on. If, no. I, if I can, Vivian, I might add this as well. Um, I have been married for 25 and a half wonderful years to my husband. Mm-hmm. And obviously for 16, 16 of those years, my a lot of my huge focus was schooling my boys, our boys. I apologize, our boys. And we have to also, as homeschooling moms and wives, Pay attention to our significant others. Yes. That, I think, is important, um, that we take time to go on a lunch date or a dinner date or whatever to keep our relationships with our mates and keep their little brains happy, too. So I just wanted to throw that little bit in yes, there. Yes, no, absolutely. And, um, Julie, we're coming close to the end of our time, and I know that you have a website that I would like you um, to tell us about, how we get on there, and your book. Okay, um, my website is three W's, your best mind online.com. And under the tab, quickest way to insanity, that is the homeschool support side. And that is titled that because my book is entitled quickest way to insanity homeschool your kids. Mm -hmm. And despite the sarcasm in the title, it is a very good book on how to teach with the brain and mind. So I I talk about the learning styles. I talk about multisensory teaching. I talk about the brain leads. I talk about introversion, extroversion, the difference between the boy and the girl brain. So I cover a lot of it, and it's an easy read book because I know it's not 500 pages. <laughs> it's not something that a homeschooling parent can't can't get through in a short period of time. So well, those are some excellent resources. All right. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for joining us today. And as homeschoolers out there, I really want you to take advantage of the creativity that you can bring to um, the teaching that you can do with your children. And as you listen to Julie, you can, you can hear all kinds, you've heard all kinds of suggestions and, um, you know, sort of good reasons as to why perhaps you should start to observe your child and learn how they, they learn best and try to teach them in that way. So Julie, thank you so much for joining me and you have a wonderful weekend. And thank you, Vivian, very much for having me on again. I am honored, and you as well. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, that was an interesting conversation. Julie really opened my eyes to a few things about the brain, mostly that it really does matter about our environment and physical well-being as to how well it functions. When our chair's uncomfortable, after a while, we start to focus more on our aching back and numb derriere rather than the lesson we're learning or the blog we're writing. If it's cold, we begin to lose interest in what we're doing because we're so concerned about our numb hands or feet or we're shivering. If our head aches or our tummy rumbles, then guess what begins to take priority after a while? Then, of course, if we're too comfortable, we may fall asleep. So striking a balance. I loved Julie's advice to keep our concentration to shorter bursts of time and to stand up every 15 minutes or so to allow the brain to get a well-deserved surge of oxygen. Water's important too. Hello, water is important for everything in our bodies. So when you start to feel sluggish in the afternoon, stand up, go get some water and take a break. My children always tell me that that's my cure-all, a walk and a glass of water. But it works! I liked the idea that the brain can change and develop as we learn to do new things. And I'm not referring to complicated new things, just writing with the other hand or eating left-handed if we're right-handed. Or memorising a short piece of scripture is new enough to facilitate a change. In fact, much as I love to read and write, and I use these skills to do most of the activities, I'm not a good memoriser. I should really learn the Nunc Dimittis, which is the song of Simeon, or the Magnificat, Mary's song when she visits her cousin Elizabeth. I'm ashamed to say I listen to and read these two prayers, or canticles as they're called, every week at Evensong, and I still don't know them. Learning anything helps the brain develop new neurological pathways and keeps it on its toes. And the brain is such an important part of our body and one that has more secrets than any other organ. And there are several different fields of medicine and science devoted to it. Neurology, which treats physical disorders. Psychology, which teaches the study of behaviour and mental processes, and psychiatry, which treats mental illnesses and disorders. These disciplines have been around for thousands of years. And as you heard from my guest, Julie Anderson, we still don't know everything there is to know about the brain. So for fun, I went to a website called How Stuff Works and found a few myths about the brain I thought I'd share with you. Myth number one, your brain is grey. 
we've seen the preserved brains sitting in jars in a classroom or on TV. And most of the time, they're a uniform white, grey or yellowish hue. So I can understand how this myth got started. After all, we do call the central control system of our body grey matter, but it's not strictly true. In actuality, the living pulsing brain isn't just a dull, bland grey. It's also white, black and red. And each colour has a special, special function. Much of the brain is grey and runs down through the spinal cord, which it consists of different types of cells, such as neurons. Also, the brain contains the white matter, which comprises nerve fibres that connect the grey matter, and the black component is called substantia nigra, which is Latin for, yep, black substance. It's black because of the neuromelanin, a specialised type of the same pigment that colours our skin and hair. Uh, finally, the red are the red blood vessels running through the brain. So why, if the brain has many colours in it, when we see it preserved, does it look chalky and dull instead of spongy and colourful? Well, that's due to formaldehyde, perhaps? Myth number two. Listening to Mozart can make you smarter. Ah, I wish. A group of people listened to Mozart before taking an IQ test and their results were higher. And this is where this myth came from. But the original University of California at Irvine study had been controversial in the scientific community. Dr. Francis Rauscher, a researcher involved in the study, stated that they never actually claimed it made anyone smarter. It just increased performance on certain spatial temporal tasks. Other scientists have been unable to replicate the original results. So there is currently no scientific information to prove that listening to Mozart or any other classical music actually makes anyone smarter. But learning an instrument can improve concentration, self-confidence and coordination. But the only thing that'll make you smarter is to study and practice and work hard. So bye-bye, baby Mozart CDs for in utero. We all know the brain is a wrinkly organ, and if it was spread out or ironed, it would be as big as a pillowcase. However, myth number three, we get new brain wrinkles when we learn something is simply not true. Imagine if it were. By the time we died, our brain would just be like a wrinkled prune with all the stuff that we learn. Interestingly enough, though, we don't start with wrinkly brains. As the fetus grows, it starts off with a smooth little brain, and its neurons grow and migrate to different parts of the brain, creating the sulci and gyri. By the time it reaches 40 weeks, its brain is as wrinkled as its mum's. So we don't develop new wrinkles as we learn. The wrinkles we're born with are the wrinkles we have for the rest of our lives, assuming that our brains remain healthy. Now, I was one of these people who believed in subliminal messages, but myth number four, learning by subliminal messages, is just that, a myth. Listen to this scan played to perpetuate it. Messages which flash for one thousandth of a second during a film told moviegoers to drink Coca-Cola and eat popcorn, and according to the testers, Coke sales in the theatre did increase by more than 18%, and popcorn sales by more than 57%, proving that these subliminal messages worked. Oh yeah? It turns out the tester actually lied about the results of his study. Why do people do that? Subsequent studies included one that flashed the message call now during a broadcast on a Canadian TV station and it had no effect on viewers. The infamous 1990s Judas Priest trial in which the families of two boys who committed suicide claimed that a song told the boys to do it ended with the judge stating that there was no scientific evidence in their favour. 
Yet some people still claim the music, as well as advertisements, contain hidden messages. They don't. And what a surprise for myth number five. Alcohol kills brain cells. We all know that isn't this part of the lesson plan when we caution our children against the hazards of drinking? Well, directly, it's not true. Alcoholics can develop a neurological disorder called Wernick-Korsakoff syndrome, which can result in a loss of neurons in some parts of the brain. But actually, this syndrome also causes memory problems, paralysis of the eyes, lack of muscle coordination and amnesia. But it isn't caused by the alcohol itself. It's the result of a deficiency of thiamine, an essential B vitamin. Not only are severe alcoholics often malnourished, extreme alcohol consumption can interfere with the body's absorption of thiamine. So while alcohol doesn't actually directly kill brain cells, it can damage your brain if you drink in mass quantities. Myth number six has to do with the false supposition that we only use 10% of our brain and that we should be able to tap into its potential. The brain is home to 100 billion neurons and each is also full of other types of cells that are continually in use. We can become disabled from damage to just small areas of the brain depending on where the injury is located. So there's no way that we could function with only 10% of our brain in use. Brain scans have shown that no matter what we're doing, our brains are always active. For example, if you're eating a sandwich, you're concentrating on bringing the food to your mouth and chewing. But you know what? Although our feet might not actually be moving around and consciously doing stuff, the blood is still flowing through them. There's still activity in them. So every part of our body is still working, whether we're consciously making it work or not. So as for tapping into hidden extra potential in the brain, go whistle up another tree. But the brain is still hiding lots of secrets about how it works for us to discover in the future. And listen to this one. Myth number seven says that it's downhill after 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. And it's a myth. This is good news for me and all you baby boomers out there listening. It's true some cognitive skills do decline as we get older. Don't try playing a game of concentration against a 10-year-old. But there are plenty of mental skills that improve with age. Vocabulary, for instance, we oldies know more words because we've been around longer and we understand subtle linguistic distinctions and we score higher on tests of social wisdom, such as how to settle a conflict. So rock on maturity and wisdom. Myth number eight is that our brains are hardwired and we can't change them, but we can. They're malleable, thank goodness. And, you know, a blind person, um, it's br their brain kind of picks up parts of what would normally be used for vision for oral so they have sharper hearing so if you learn how to do something new then you're creating new little neural paths and our brain kind of is flexible like that so it's all fascinating stuff and with work we can retain our brain to crave train our brain to crave healthier food not be irritated by seams or labels in our clothes to lead with the visual instead of the oral if required. So don't think you can't teach old dogs new tricks. That just is not true. We can learn effectively right alongside our students. And I think many of us have discovered this during our homeschooling adventure. And it's time to stop my cranial chatter and give my brain a rest. I hope you've had fun. I'm off to goodness knows what lies in store for me this week. I'll be back same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. Not long now. The hardworking staff at Toginet. My guest, Julie Anderson, and you, my faithful listeners, especially 
Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Pam, Charlotte and many others who are part of my growing audience. And while you're on Toginet, listen to Brenda Nixon on the Parents' Plate Tuesdays at 10 Eastern and Trisha Goya with Living Inspired on Thursdays at 4 Eastern. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.